You are back with The Conversation. This is Catherine Cruz. Joining us for our call-in show today, our guest, Bert Lum. He's the Broadband Strategy Officer with the Department of Business and Economic Development and Tourism. And he's also the host of Bite Marks Cafe, heard here on HPR on Wednesday evenings. Hopefully he can help break down the tech challenges of working at home. Good morning, Bert. Good morning, Catherine. You know, also on the line today to field questions is Dana Arakawa, an organizational consultant here in Honolulu. Her background is in social psychology and applied psychology. She has been a guest on the Bike Marks Cafe talking about the social side of working remotely. Welcome, Dana. Hi, Catherine and Bert. Great to be here today. Yeah, so, you know, at the top of the show, I you know made a comment about, you know, someone moving our cheese, and that was the, the title of a, a self-help book uh, back in the 90s and it was really about dealing with change at work and like it or not we're here so what are your thoughts Dana? Yeah so you know one of the biggest things that everyone is adjusting now is just that this change has been forced upon us so kind of more than ever there's just a lot of um, ways to look into how can we be adjust to change better Um, and there's a lot that we can kind of draw upon when it comes to psychology research on how people process change as well as uh, grief because really right now um, there is a lot that we are uh, whether or not um, you know we kind of acknowledge it as grief there really are a lot of things that have been lost in our day-to-day lives that we're adjusting to right now yeah we've lost our routine that's a biggie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then there's a new yes. routine at work and, and that's complicated if you have kids <laughs> Definitely. And so we're really seeing a lot of opportunities to kind of restructure the way that we work. And um, as we've been kind of forced to be at home now, I think a lot of organizations, um, you know, have, uh, you know, there's different models to look at how we progress as an organization from, you know, when can I just get back into the office all the way to, um, you know, the most uh kind of tech-savvy organizations um, are able to really work distributedly. And so I think as, um, you know, organizations in Hawaii start to look at how they can adjust in this process, it's both up to the individuals and companies to think about how can we kind kind of move into the future, given that we really don't know how long these types of quarantine measures will continue you know, and and what the future will look like. And a lot of that uncertainty is what uh, we're all dealing with now, individually and collectively. And Bert, you have an interesting uh, perspective because, you know, you work with the state and, you know, know, I don't know if the state was really ready for this, you know, massive uh, distance, uh, you know, working remotely thing. Uh, and, And then you also interface with so many people in the tech world yeah, so Catherine, you know, I think you're you're bringing up a really good point, and I've been I've been uh, involved with you know sort of this whole broadband um, movement, and the broadband movement with the state has actually been going on for probably a good dozen years, and you know, interestingly enough, if you look at the uh, initial kind of formation of some of our broadband legislation uh, back in I don't know maybe 2008 or you know, around that time, uh, it was, it had telework as one of the primary motivations behind building broadband infrastructure. So telework was on the minds of our legislature, as well as, you know, as well as uh, the, the carriers that are providing, you know, the, the internet connections. Right. But so interestingly enough, what happens is that a lot of the companies 
that we're all familiar with, whether it's Google or Facebook or Twitter, uh, they're, they're actually all just present here. They're people that work for those companies here, and they're all doing telework. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of the tech companies have been um, ready to kind of embrace that, that um, capability, and they are, uh, you know, working from wherever they're working from, and, and, and that includes Hawaii. So it's not something new to us. I think the shock is that, uh, historically, I think maybe the companies in Hawaii may not have been as early adopters to telework as some of the tech companies, you know, that, that are national. Right, and then we are dealing with uh, also, you know, government workers, uh, and you know, who knew that, you know, thousands of, of uh, government employees would be, you know, forced to be at home. Yeah, and that's a that's a very new paradigm for for government because. Again, there was a time when telework was being uh, reviewed as a uh, a mode of work for government workers, and and there's actually a process by which um, you know if you want to telework, you have to fill out some forms to you know justify your your wanting to work from home. Uh, but what the what the uh, pandemic uh, sort of forced upon us was that you know it's almost like you you have to do it. Uh, regardless of any forms that you have to fill out, right? And I, I think there was a there was a, a a culture, and you know Hawaii, we have our our sort of culture uh, that we live by, and sometimes you know showing up at work and making sure that you're sitting by your desk. I mean that's part of that that work culture, and and trying to uh, embrace a a telework environment where you're not you know you're not easily seen. So there's always this question of. Well, are they really working if they're at home? And and I think that had to be overcome very quickly, you know, when this uh, pandemic hit. And you know, we we have talked to a number of uh, uh, data experts and and uh, you know from the University of Hawaii and from the private sector just to understand, you know, is the infrastructure prepared to handle everybody at one time? And I know that uh, uh, one of the folks that you turned me on to, Fred Rohde, was saying, well, yeah, it's a big test of the system with so many people doing so many things at one time. Uh, and I think that's, a, that's an excellent point. You know, it's one thing to have your network and Internet connection at your corporate environment. And you have a staff of IT professionals that are making sure that the network is up and running and it's secure and uh, it can service your need, you know, 24/7 or, or however long the, you know, the the work uh, requirement is. Uh, in in terms of your home connection, uh, and and again, you know, this is a question for the uh, the carriers, whether it be the Hawaiian Tels or the charters. Uh, you know, there's something that um, I used to be uh, used to back in the old days when, you know, they had things like landlines because that was called lifeline. <laughs> and <laughs> those lifeline services were considered critical infrastructure, just given by the name. Now, when you talk about Internet connections at home, um, I, don't, I don't really see them being considered uh, or at least classified at this time lifeline. And I think it should be considered as we go forward because they're critical to our uh, ability to work, you know, educate, as well as do health. Uh, and I think uh, this whole pandemic has, has brought the realization that if you're going to connect from <clears throat> from home or wherever you are, is that connection considered 
uh, critical infrastructure. And if it's critical, then there's a, a whole bunch of things that need to be built in to make sure that it's, it's, it's up and running and working when you need it. You know, it, it's interesting, too, because uh, when you look at the private sector, I know of somebody that works with HMSA, and they weren't prepared. They didn't have enough, you know, laptops to dole out to everybody uh, for them to do their work. And, you know, uh, this person was saying, well, I have my iPad, but, you know, I, I, I'm managing all these cases, and it's just really difficult uh, when you don't have the landscape and the monitors and you don't have a mouse. So just simple things well, like that. <laughs> Well, you know, yeah, when you talk about infrastructure, you're you're absolutely right. And infrastructure could include things like, you know, your internet connection, but it also includes things like your your laptop and and monitors and your printer and how many phone lines do you have? And 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 in my case, like at at work, I have like a, a minimum of two computers and I have, you know, like four monitors and and I have my printer that's really readily accessible and I have at least three phone lines that I can access to, you know, to sort of multitask in my in my limited way of multitasking but you know that's infrastructure and that's that makes you as productive as you can be productive but at home um it's a little different for me i mean i'm sitting on my living room floor you know it's uh the tv is not that far away and the ice block is is even is even closer <laughs> uh you know the, the environment is you know if you really want to work from home yeah you definitely need to have a space that's set up so that you can actually Put your put your body and your mind into that into that uh, you know sort of mental zone. And Dana, chime in here. I mean, wh- what are you uh, telling your clients as far as how to do this efficiently? Mm, definitely. So I think you know what one thing that Bert brought up uh, very well is just the infrastructure needs that I think a lot of my work depends on the assumption that that you're, we're going to have internet um, that we're going to be able to you know, have a laptop to work from home. And so a lot of um, the kind of recommendations from organization development consultants like myself kind of depend on the fact that we have this infrastructure and that also acknowledging that, you know, that um, most of the work that we're, you know, I might be talking about now is really kind of knowledge work that's um, able to be done at home. Um, And I think there's a lot of recognition and kind of appreciation for all of the, you know, the, the workers who are out there are now on the front lines in healthcare and service, uh, or you know, uh, jobs that aren't as easily transitioned um, to home. Um, so I think, you know, one of the things um, you just the, the, your first question about um, how to now successfully make that transition. Um, there's a lot to go into, but the basics always come down to structure. And I think a lot of people are figuring this out already for themselves, especially if they have children, that their uh, kids, you know, know this, or if you have kids, you know, you know that they need structure. And so um, a lot of the schools are providing some basic uh, kind of patterns to get parents started. And then I think I've talked to a lot of friends who've then been able to layer their own structures on top of their children's uh um, kind of homeschooling structures. And so I think that as we think about how to become uh, better working from home, a lot of it is having to do with thinking about the routines and the habits that we create. Well, you know, one of our producers, uh, Jason Ubai, he's been working uh, uh, remotely and alternating you know, with his wife and, and two kids, juggling everything. His kids are uh, one year and three years old. The older one, Avehi, has Zoom calls for his preschool. Here he is talking with a teacher trying to catch and throw an imaginary ball. 
I got you. I have a question this morning. I have a I ball in my hand. Ready, catch the ball? I got a ball. Oh, it's an invisible one. You have to. Oh, no, don't go and get it. It's an invisible ball, but. Invisible, invisible. That's the invisible okay, ball. Okay, thank you. Can you share with me and Shaysa? Um, 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 I don't have a ball. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, kind of a hard concept, you know, uh, distance learning. You know, we've got a preschool who's uh, trying to wrap his mind around an imaginary ball. The challenges of, of uh, trying to deal with kids who, you know, are going to school at home, and you've got to help manage that. Right. Any thoughts? And I okay. think one of the... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I, I've uh, looked at most recently that I, I really thought was so great was kind of keeping in mind that um, right now I'm not homeschooling. I'm just doing my best to help kids learn at home during a crisis. You know, it's more of a, a realization that we are, you know, that we're not in a traditional work from home situation. We're really in a in a national or global crisis. And so, um, you know, kind of from that clip that you played, you know, we can hear that there's a lot of activity, there's a lot going on, and people are have never worked from home from before, certainly not when uh, homeschooling their kids at the same time. And so I think that a lot of uh, where psychology can help us is the importance of uh, remembering things like self-compassion and acceptance that, you know, this isn't a time to be kind of pushing ourselves for optimum productivity, but to be kind of accepting of the fact that right now, um, you know, we're not going to be super, super people at all in all areas and that, um, you know, we're not homeschooling under normal conditions. We're trying to just keep our kids uh, going while we're also trying to keep work going. And I think uh, one big kind of, kind of thing to keep in mind for all of us is that plus also for employers that really, um, I think, employers need to recognize that this is not uh, the traditional time where we can expect, uh, you know, sort of that utmost out of everyone. Right. So don't beat yourself up if you don't get right. all the things on your to-do list, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, yeah. You know, I, um, <clears throat> so last week on, on uh, Bite Marks Cafe and, and don't be, don't, don't mind me by you know, shamelessly plugging the show, but you know, the, um, I had a couple of teachers on, C.C. Uh, Chung and, and Shane Asselstein, and, you know, they are doing uh, things like uh, helping teachers uh, leverage the technology to do distance learning through their virtual office hours. And I asked them the question, which they answered really, uh, really well, and, I, and I, it made me think, right? So what, what I asked them was, you know, if, if I were in the situation where we are now all sort of working, um, you know, working and, and educating from home. And this was like back in the back in the last century. Okay, last century when I was, you know, yeah. uh, maybe a uh, intermediate school uh, student, what would I be doing? And I would definitely be outside running around playing football on the street and not really thinking about, you know, education. And, and it would be like, this is summer vacation. And, and I asked them, what, you know, what is it that, that you as teachers need to do to uh, really, you know, sort of get the students back into the, into the thinking uh, mindset of, 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 of education? And, and Dana brought it up. You know, it's the idea of you have to have some structure. And, you know, now with, with this whole sort of distance learning and, and education at home and homeschooling, I mean, there's got to be that structure. 
And the only way that structure is going to work is if the teacher and the parent can be a team to help set that structure. And so what they told me was that they actually call up all the ta- uh, parents and actually talk to them about how the uh, educational environment at home um, is, is going to evolve and, and involve, involve them as well as, as the student because they are the ones, the parents are the ones that need to help set that structure. And that's, that's a totally different thing, right? Because for, for the most part, all of us now encountering this, uh, you know, work at home or, or educate at home environment in, in 2020, um, the, the, you know, the, the idea of actually now being a full participant as a parent with your child's education is like top and center in the in your face, and you have to figure out how you're gonna take advantage of that, right? So you just can't let your kid run outside and you know play football on the street. Right, right. Uh, you gotta pull them in. Yeah, it's a survival mode. You just gotta just gotta do it. <laughs> well, if you're just joining the conversation, we're talking about working at home and juggling. Uh, teaching your kids at home, and we'd like to know how you are coping. You can join the discussion by calling us at 941-3689 or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Uh, Stay with us. We will be right back after a short break. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Dawson, committed to perpetuating Native Hawaiian culture by helping to raise awareness of the Hawaiian language. DawsonTechnical.com Join us tonight at 8 p.m. on HPR2 for a special Hawaii Symphony Orchestra Best of rebroadcast. Guest conductor James Fedick leads the orchestra and violinist Chul Yong Jimmy Lin in a program featuring Mozart and Mahler tonight at 8 p.m. on HPR2, sponsored by Mid-Pacific Institute. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art with a mission to create transformative experiences through art and committed to standing with the community during this time. Updates on reopening at honolulumuseum.org. This is Catherine Cruz, and you're listening to The Conversation. Our guest today, Dana Arakawa, organizational consultant with a background in social and applied psychology, and Bert Lum is the broadband strategy officer with the Department of Business and Economic Development and the host of Bite Marks Cafe, which has been on HPR for a decade now. Uh, You know, we uh, did have a comment from a listener um, who writes, there's a misconception that working from home is a vacation of sorts. This is not the case for many parents who, in addition to having to work through this crisis, are now inheriting the duties of child care professionals. No time to catch up on Netflix when you have to feed your kids, change their diapers, and put them to bed. It's like having two full-time jobs. Thoughts on that, Dana? Certainly. Um, you know, so I don't have children, and I've um, thought frequently and kind of just checked in with friends about it because it is an extraordinary feat right now, I think, for anyone who is juggling uh, really kids of any age. I asked a, a, a friend who has a three year old and a seven year old what is kind of the harder age, and she said they're all hard at 
for different reasons, and uh, especially when they're at different ages, they have different needs. Um, but one of the things that I think I like to keep in mind as we've been talking a lot about structure is some of the things that help me are to think about um, kind of the who, when, and the where. So the importance of support. Uh, so with who, right? Who can help you? Um, obviously, we're sort of more physically limited right now, but I have a, a college friend in D.C. who has been having all of us chip in to doing little virtual mini tutorials with her son. So he sent me a letter in Spanish, and I just got it yesterday, and it's, you know, about three lines, and then I'll write him back in Spanish. So who are the people that can kind of, you, you can help enlist to help uh, with, you know, just to seek out support right now because we all sort of need to rely on each other. Um, when it comes to other structures, you know, scheduling. So when, when can you uh, find the time to alternate, you know, parenting roles that one person can work, as you mentioned, one of your producers has kind of figured out that, that kind of schedule shift with his partner and routine. So where can you work? Can you work uh, sometimes changing to, uh, you know, I often just am alternating between standing at my kitchen counter or sitting at my kitchen table. Um, you know, we're one of the reasons that Hawaii was ranked so low in the best states uh, to work from that you mentioned. Um, I think it is the high cost of living here and that many of us are living in smaller places, often with multiple people. And, um, you know, so unfortunately, when it comes from, to working from home, we're all Bert mentioned, you know, sitting on his uh, living room floor. We're all kind of making do in different ways. Um, and, you know, that can also, we can kind of reframe that to being a fun thing. Kind of how can we try to, uh, you know, build in more standing time at a, you know, makeshift stand desk? Um, how can we take, you know, a little mini break in between and um, do some sit-ups or push-ups or whatever else you can do to get a little bit more activity in your day, which is certainly another routine I would advocate for. And Bert, you and I were talking earlier. I know in my house, the hottest times are like two to five. You know, I don't have air condition. You don't have air condition, right? Yeah, you know, you bring up a great point. So, you know, when you look back at, uh, let's say, the governor's uh, effort to get the school's air conditioning, and and you think about it for students, right? I mean, if they're sitting in a hot room and and the teacher's trying to get them to, you know, settle down and, and listen to the lecture or whatever. Uh, it's hard when it's, you know, you're kind of hot and sweaty. And when, when you're at home now trying to work, and, and I think to Dana's point, you've got to find the, the, the sort of the routine or the regimen that works in your new environment. And for me, I mean, I can work in the morning because the morning is cool and, you know, it's, it's a lot more conducive. My brain is working. But then when you get to the afternoon and, and, and things start to heat up, uh, it'll come around one-ish, two-ish, you know, it's like well, maybe that's a good time to get outside or go for a run or exercise or do something and then and then come back at it, uh, you know, after after you've uh, showered and, and then, you know, you can get re- re-energized. So I, I, would, I would be interested to hear, you know, if, if listeners are having, um, you know, the, the routines that they've adjusted to, whether they have kids or whether they're, in a small apartment or whether they're, you know, living in a home that doesn't have air conditioning like mine, um, it's not going to be the, the typical, okay, so you're going to work from home and it's going to be from 8 to 5 and you're going to be sitting by your computer and I'm expecting to call you and you're going to be there. It's not going to be that way. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be an iterative process to find out what best 
works for you in your condition at home because it's all going to be different. I think I think probably the listeners are you know thinking, well, yeah, you know, you're right. There's a lot of different conditions out there, and how do you adapt to being as productive as you want to be, but being in an environment that's not as uh, necessarily uh, that you're not necessarily used to. Right. It, it is an adjustment. You know, we did hear uh, from a couple of state workers. Uh, Meyer Cummins is a land surveyor uh, for the state of Hawaii. He's been uh, working from home with his wife, Natalie, uh, who is a, a lab manager at the University of Hawaii. And they have a two-year-old daughter, MJ, and uh, they found a routine. Honestly, working from home is awesome. It's uh, watching my toddler for 15 hours out of the day and trying to work at home is the hard part. Natty and I have split our day up, so one of us works the morning shift and one of us works the evening shift, so we each at least get four hours of work in during the normal daylight hours. And then we work whenever our daughter's sleeping or distracted by Blippy or, uh, what is it, Mother Goose Clubhouse, which we hate, by the way. I don't know how many times I can hear wheels on the bus, but I'm up to, like, a thousand. Every day is almost exactly the same, whereas before, like it feels like a Thursday all the time, but at the same time, I'm also watching my kid as if it were a Saturday. And so just the the same day in, day out routine, while keeps us sane, is also driving us crazy because every day is exactly the same over and over again. I don't know how long people can take it, but, you know, we're doing our best. Thankfully, my wife and I have managed our time so that we don't get on each other's nerves, but I imagine a lot of people are. Yep, getting on each other's nerves. You just get frazzled. You know, she brought up so many great points there. Um, you know, one of the things that he first said that I really in, uh, enjoyed was that, you know, recognizing that this is actually kind of a cool time to work from home as well. Like, it's, it's um, you know, incredibly unsettling and anxious as well but at the same time there are you know we can look for these benefits of spending some more time with our loved ones um you know i've had a friend who said that she's enjoyed the time she's been able to spend more uh with her husband at home you know there there are ways that we can look for uh the positive or the benefits and and what uh and what we're experiencing right now and really there's so much research about the importance of gratitude so one of these sort of habits or rituals i would encourage is just the simple thing of taking the time to write down three things you're grateful for every day. And this can really help to kind of keep our uh, spirits and emotion up uh, during this time. And as you mentioned, you know, we're uh, kind of, it's, it's the uncertainty of how long this will go, right? It's been two months already. And um, this is, um, you know, looking more like a marathon, you know, than a sprint. Um, and one of the things that he ended with that I thought was interesting that I'd, I'd like to think more about too is, you know, how can we, as much as we've been talking about the need for structure and routine, we also need to kind of keep some elements of play and fun so that we don't get so bored, right? I think a lot of it is we're not able to do the same things that we're used to, so we're going to have to find creative ways to stay engaged. Um, I've, I've kind of recently taken up an online game, played with friends, um, and there are certain ways that I would love to hear again from listeners about how else they are kind of seeking out play and fun to kind of keep the routine from being too monotonous. 
You know, we uh, uh, did have another shy caller on the line from Kapolei who uh, needs to work at home, which requires a strong Internet connection. Uh, Kids and husband also use Wi-Fi, so the Internet connection is pretty bad. So what can this family do to help improve the connection? Bert, you want to take that one? Well, you know, I'm sure the the carriers will love to sell you uh, up, you know, upsell you on whatever service that you currently have. So, you know, uh, depending on if your service is, uh, you know, at the minimum sort of 25 meg free up, and uh, you know, you could easily get uh, either Hawaiian Telecom or Spectrum to up that service to 100 meg down, and you know, 10 meg up, or even even better, right? You can get a get 300 meg and and if you're really ambitious, you can try to get get the um, sort of symmetrical where the up 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 um, load is, is equal to the download. So if you're if you're getting 100 meg down, you can get 100 meg up. That's the uh, you know that uh, um, kind of service would cost you a little bit more, but you know you're you're pretty much guaranteed of a pretty good performance. So symmetrical is also also a good way to go. Um, you know, I I, I also want to you know ask. Um, Dana, a little bit about you know when when working when working at home as a worker. I mean, you're you're adjusting, you're trying to figure out what's the best routine to work at home. I'm sure there's you know even managers must be wrestling with this idea of work at home because now all of a sudden you know in the in the office you know you can order you know see your workers and they're all kind of there, but now managers have to really be a little bit more flexible. They have to be a little bit more accommodating you have to be much more understanding how is what's the psychology of the managers needing to adjust to this work at home environment yeah that's thanks for bringing up this question bert i think you know when i work with uh teams i have sort of a model that i like to kind of use and keep in mind which is about clarity motivation and trust so teams really need these three things and trust being sort of this fundamental piece of working together. Um, and a big part of, um, you know, trust is that it's built over time. Um, and so something like this where we're very quickly thrust into, um, you know, teleworking at home. And, uh, you know, one of the big things is in this sort of kind of levels of how an organization can progress from, you know, only being in the office to being fully distributed on the most, uh, positive you know, or kind of the, the most tech savvy uh, distributed work teams end. Um, you know, I think a lot of companies now are in stage two, which is like the big brother teleworking stage where we're uh, working at home, but we're trying to recreate the same structures that we had in the office. So um, calling in at the same times, um, having maybe the same meetings, but just trying to do it on Zoom. And um, some companies even, you know, use uh, monitoring uh, softwares to make sure that their com- uh, employees are online or checking in at the right time. And, you know, a lot of this is based on this model of kind of factory work, right, that we kind of check in, check out. Um, and so as a company can kind of progress towards uh, better remote and eventually sort of fully distributed practices, the biggest thing is kind of um, in addition to the technology being ramped up and better technology use is building more of these uh, kind of soft skills of which trust is so important uh, because managers really need to be able to trust that their employees and and if they don't then the kind of the biggest question is you know why did they hire that person in the first place it's, it's kind of a harsh 
thing to think about, but really you should trust the people that you that you work with, right? And so um, I think that this situation is going to be forcing a lot of managers to be looking at, you know, you know, their level of trust in their team and how, and also conversely, how can uh, they get their employees to trust them more too? Because it's a very, it's a two-way street, obviously. So maybe the the big thing is communicate, you know, with your team members and try and be flexible, but then have some, what, uh, expectation like, okay, by the end of the week, can you have, you know, X, Y, Z and, and just, you know, have that trust that it's going to be completed by then. Right. Yeah. So that's why there's sort of this whole kind of, I, I think, you know, model for working with how do we create teams that are thriving, that are doing better, where you mentioned um, what I call, you know, the clarity around roles, goals, and process. So everyone should know what they're doing, what they're working towards, and there should be, and how they're doing it in that process. So that um, that starts to, it all works together, right, to build that trust. So if I say I'm going to get something done by a certain time, my manager knows that I'll do it or that I'll be in communication about uh, whatever, um, you know, things might be coming up. And, um, you know, but a lot of this is, is new. And so we're going to have to be um, new in this environment and during this time, which I always like to emphasize is not a normal time to have those same kind of productivity expectations. And so, um, you know, but we're really looking at how can we um, kind of take these first steps toward building uh, these, these connections that I think are so important uh, for trust. The, the kind of one thing I really wanted to say, too, is that I think in Hawaii, one of the great things we have going for us when it comes to our kind of working from home culture, even though we were ranked so low on this on this uh, Wallet Hub uh, survey, is that you know in the office, I think we have a lot of great uh, working relationships often because in Hawaii we you know often um, really prioritize the building of relationships. And I've heard from a lot of people that actually, you know, they miss that now being in, uh, being at home. They're missing these uh, work, you know, that sort of um, just talk story in the office. And, you know, a lot of people feel very lonely at work, um, kind of nationwide. That um, I've read a lot of studies about how um, loneliness at work is so high because we're just sort of all, you know, focused in, in our little offices and just kind of cramming down. But I actually have the feeling, and this is not, um, you know, this is just. My, my feeling that in Hawaii, we do a little better at this, at having relationships. And I think one of the things that we can uh, focus on now and kind of build from the good is how can we continue to build these connections um, and maintaining them while online? So building in practices during our team calls to just talk stories still and still have those moments of connection, which uh, help to foster the trust that uh, Bert mentioned in the beginning with, um, you know, how can managers be be kind of managing this new situation? Well, you are listening to The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. You can join our discussion about working at home by calling one 941 3689 Stay with us. We'll be right back after a break. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa. Monthly online info sessions are available for the Distance EMBA and Master of HR, scheidler.hawaii.edu slash events. I'm Marco Werman. 
At The World, we're always looking beyond our borders to get the global take on the news. That's especially important as we deal with a pandemic. We take you to places where the coronavirus struck first, places that may recover from its effects before the U.S. Join us as we take on each day's news from a global perspective. That's why we call it The World. Starting this afternoon at 1. We had another caller who couldn't stay on the line uh, but wanted to share this. Uh, said, not everyone can work from home. When do you think people can start going back? Uh, you know, how does this uh, crisis affect people psychologically from wanting to go outside? You know, I, I know I, f- uh, for one, I'm very grateful that I have some place to go to. Uh, I have a nephew that lives in San Francisco, and he was sharing an experience about how he's cooped up in his apartment. Uh, his work disconnected their security cards to get into the building of their workplace, so he cannot physically you know, get into his uh, building. Uh, so I'm grateful that uh, I, I can get out and I can, uh, I, I can work, and I see some of my coworkers here. But it's, you know... I think people are missing it, missing that social interaction. I, I would agree. Uh, you know, I think I think uh, uh, being face-to-face, especially, you know, in the office environment, I mean, you, you build that camaraderie, you build a, a sort of a working culture, uh, and, and I think people are social, you know, they're social animals, so they're going to miss uh, miss that. And working at home, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be tough, but you know the, the the caller was asking about you know when do we get back and I think you know it's gonna it's probably gonna be a phased thing and and you know it's gonna be what kind of critical services you know need to to come back uh, into into operation now I'll speak about uh, you know everybody that that's uh, lacking lacking uh, haircut because you know nobody <laughs> nobody can get their haircut right and and so let's say so hypothetically let's say you know the uh, you know the, the the beauty shops, barbershops. You know they, they open back up, but but now there's going to be a, a, a new sort of uh, code of code of uh, work conduct that's going to require whether it's uh, a face mask or you know some degree of, of you know I, I think you got to figure you, there's going to be minimal distancing, right? So they got because they got to cut your hair, but there's going to be some process that gets put in place that protects you and the you know and the person cutting your hair that will now need to adhere to just to make sure that you know you minimize the uh, the opportunity for you know a, a possible transmission right so so this you know i think i think we will phase back into work but i think the work environment might be a little different it was interesting because my nephew had shared that the way that he connects with his colleagues is that they've scheduled a a pauhana you know a, uh, happy hour on Friday afternoons, and they game. So they, you know, jump online and they compete. And whoever wins uh, makes a donation to the food bank, which I thought was really, you know, kind of nice. So all the money that they would have spent, let's say, going out to to eat or drink, uh, you know, goes to help somebody in the community at need. So just a way to be able to connect uh, with your coworkers. Dana, what do you think? Yeah, Catherine, you know, I love that idea. Um, some of the the, when I talk about well-being, I often talk about uh, this model called 
Chroma, which came out of the University of Pennsylvania, where I studied with uh, Martin Seligman, the founder of positive psychology. And his model for uh, well-being is uh, PERMA, which is an acronym for positive emotions, engagement, relationship, meaning, and accomplishment. And I like to add on the H for um, health or physical health. Um, but, you know, in your story about your, your nephew, um, you know, I heard a lot of things there around relationship building, kind of, you know, continuing that time to, to kind of connect with friends. And, you know, even if we can't physically be together, thankfully, if we're uh, fortunate, you know, we have the technology to be able to still maintain our relationships. And also the meaning piece that, you know, whoever wins gets to um, donate to the food bank. And I think... One of the things that uh, research has also shown is, uh, you know, helps to kind of keep our emotions and spirit up is service. So looking for ways that we can still be of service to others and that we can help other people, whether that's through um, donations or, um, you know, whatever means that that we can right now. And I've heard a lot of uh, heartwarming stories about that that I think you know, and, and when you do those acts of service or kindness as well, um, it's also a great way to kind of get out of your own head and remember, um, you know, just kind of linking it back to gratitude, what, what we do have to be grateful for. Right. And we don't know how long this is going to last. Um, but we did also hear from another family. Joanne Luce and her husband, Scott, were winging it at first before settling into a routine when they realize that this may go for a while. Uh, Joanne is a science writer, and Scott is a manager at a family attraction, and they have two kids under four. My biggest concern is that our jobs, uh, my job is a little more steady because I'm a science writer, so, you know, I can always work from home. I've, you know, I've always had that ability to work remotely. Um, Scott's job is a little more concerning because it's, um, you know, it's entertainment-based. A lot of it revolves around tourism. So just kind of that unsettling feeling of, um, you know, what's going to happen is a little concerning. Um, also with the kids' schools, you know, we don't know. You know, they're not um, in school school yet. They're in preschool. But, um, you know, it still serves as kind of our daycare, you know. And so I, don't, I just don't know how long we're going to be able to sustain this, you know, switching on and off. I don't know if you know, Scott's going to have to go into work more full-time or if I'm going to, how long that's going to last. Yeah, how we're just going to keep up with the kids. I, I get a little worried about their socialization also. Although at the same time, I'm really, I feel lucky that they're the ages that they are because they're, you know, they're old enough that they can play together, they can have fun, they can kind of play independently now and then, but, you know, we don't have to be on them the whole time. I'm not worried about, you know, my son crashing and falling because he you know well i am a little bit <laughs> but um you know he can walk on his own you know he's, he's steady on his feet he's good but they're not so they're not old they're not old enough that i really care a lot about tutoring them it's more about you know just basic skills a lot of their um their virtual classroom stuff is fun you know it's like arts and crafts and story time and things that um we all enjoy doing like baking together, you know, doing fun science experiments. And so that for that, I feel really lucky. I think that they're they're kind of the perfect age to be staying at home like this. You know, we did also get uh, some talk back email. Um, a listener says that, yeah, you know, it, it's hard taking care of of, uh, of the kids. And there's a lot of guilt when we can't keep the lines clean. Um 
this family shares, you know, I get so much relief from my colleagues who, who celebrate when my kids pop into the video conferences and they don't shame me. Um, what are um, some other things that coworkers and employers can do to help parents? Any thoughts, Dana? Mm, um, you know, one of the things from the caller that I, I kind of that struck out to me is that, um, you know, just that not knowing how long this is going to last. And um, Bert also mentioned this, right, this kind of um, likely possibility of sort of ongoing and intermittent kind of measures. But, you know, we, we all don't know what that will look like. And when we're kind of dealing with an unknown marathon um, rather than sort of a sprint where we know what to expect and how to control it, I think kind of creating mental containers for ourselves is a great kind of tool. And, and that's, you know, around the structures and the routines. Um, but we can also, uh, there are other ways that we can kind of practice this creation of like a container, whether it's like a 30-day challenge to, um, I often also think about habit practices and rituals as sort of the how-to of, uh, of building kind of resilience. And a practice that you might uh, do is like a 30-day challenge for yourself to uh, you know, write three things you're grateful for every day, um, something like that. But, you know, to your question of what are some of the other, uh, you know, things, especially for parents, you know, and um, sort of dealing with the, the email in about the guilt, I think so much um, right now is like uh, the self-compassion, compassion for self and compassion for others. I love that story about the coworkers celebrating when, a um, you know, a kid pops into the, the, the background um, I know I've been kind of worried that my dog might bark at some point, but, you know, there's only so much I can do about that. And so I think, you know, having moments of humor, like, yeah, if teens can kind of collectively celebrate when we have these little, you know, things that are going to pop up. I love that idea. Um, and, you know, there's a researcher at the University of Texas, Austin, Kristen Neff, who does a lot of work on self-compassion, particularly with self-compassion meditation. And I think that that, um, you know, is so uh, important now. And there's a lot of different apps we can download to kind of just do even two minutes a day of some type of meditation practice to kind of get grounded and to um, remember to practice compassion for ourselves and for others. And I think, um, you know, as far as what employers can do, just really keeping in mind if you're in a management or, uh, you know, leadership capacity that, um, I think, you know, that, um, you know, and, and those folks are, are, you know, dealing with this all now, too. So I think we can all kind of practice compassion for self and others right now. And, Bert, you know, I know that uh, WalletHub came out with a report this week uh, that uh, compared states and how, uh, you know, they are working remotely. And Hawaii came in, like, second to the last at the bottom. What are your thoughts on that? Why is that? Well, I think we talked a little bit about that earlier, and, and Dana sort of pointed out that, you know, the fact that the cost of living in, in Hawaii is, is so high and fundamentally probably one of the factors that, that led to our being on the bottom of that list. But, you know, if you, if you, if you think about the, the kind of uh, culture that we live in, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, like what Dana was talking about in terms of the, uh, the compassion, you know, the patience, the trust, I mean, we... I think we could uh, collectively uh, get out of this in, in good shape. And, and I think what, what we're going to come out at the other end is that we will better understand how to manage through these really stressful times. And, 
And I think, you know, everybody has varying levels of anxiety that they're encountering through the course of their, you know, day or week. And, and with the unknown of not knowing where this is going to actually get back to some, you know, some sense of normalcy, you know, what we're facing is, is how do we adapt to the new normal? And how do we adapt in a, in a way that, you know, we don't sort of just stress ourselves <laughs> out, of, out of, you know, um, having the ability to, to manage through that stress, right? So if you are, go through the, the day and, and, you know, hopefully your boss is a, a willing partner in, in, in managing through, you know, your, your daily sort of child care and whatever, you know, stresses that might occur, and you're able to kind of put them in their right place and, and, and move on to making sure that you're well through the entire uh, just variety of things that could potentially throw you off course. You just got to keep focused on, on making sure that you're well through the entire process. And whether that's, you know, working in the morning, taking a, you know, exercise break, you know, taking care of your kids, doing whatever it takes to get through the day without overly worrying about what's happening at the, the end of this, this path that we're on, I think we'll be okay. So it's, you know, take care of yourself first, right? And, and that's, that's really key. Take care of your family, and, and that's, that's key. And don't, you know, don't get overly stressed about it. Find ways to de-stress. Find ways to, you know, meditate. Get outside. Work, you know, work in the yard a little bit, you know. And, and, and as a community, I think we'll, we'll, be, we'll be fine. Do you have any final thoughts, Dana? I love how Bert just brought up sort of the importance of taking care of self first. Even in the sort of model I use to work with teams, you know, the, the center of it really is individual well-being and every person needing to kind of take responsibility and ownership over how we, we can structure our days to um, just bring in even the tiniest moments of um, self-care. And so um, there's sort of, I, I like to keep in mind tiny habits. Uh, it's by a researcher at Stanford, DJ Fogg, who talks about how we can uh, basically layer in any, like a new little habit into something we already do. So while brushing your teeth, you could use that as sort of a trigger to then, um, you know, maybe uh, think about something you're grateful for or remember, you know, just to take a look outside your window and kind of take a deep breath. And so I think if we can start to build in uh, little tiny habits that support our well-being right now, uh, whether that's taking a break for lunch, drinking more water first thing in the morning, um, doing our best to go to sleep at a good time, uh, you know, all of these things, I think, kind of maintain a good steady state for us as we all continue to manage this anxiety and kind of unknown. Okay, and I'm Bert. I'm sure that uh, you have lots of thoughts about uh, building capacity going forward as we've just gone through this really interesting uh, uh, experiment uh, that uh, we hadn't planned on. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I think in in, in closing, I mean, uh, as a a tech guy and as a a person that I think, you know, we need to leverage whatever infrastructure we have to manage through our, you know, these kinds of crazy times, I, I definitely will, will um, profess that uh, broadband and Internet needs to be 
ubiquitous and across the entire state and able to connect all the residents in Hawaii. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much, both of you, Bert Lum and Dana Arakawa. Uh, thanks for fielding questions, and we thank you, the listener, for joining us on today's show. If you'd like to add to today's discussion, you can contact the Talkback Line and record your thoughts. That number, 808-792-8217. Post your comments on Facebook, get the Conversation HPR, or tweet us at HI Conversation. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.